Alrighty. Hallelujah. We are out here. We are blessed. We are enjoying Jesus. That's what we're doing. I want to thank you guys for tuning in, for listening. I'm coming at you live from Wisconsin, the wonderful promised land. My brother and a good friend and another good friend are moving up here tomorrow, so that's real exciting, and I got some people visiting this week as well. There's blessings happening, man. Before I start the teaching, uh, and it's going to be a very interesting topic today, one I don't think I've actually taught on in depth before, uh, I just got a couple of announcements. The first one is Ladder Rain. Me and my buddy Tim, our rap group, we are dropping a mixtape in about a month, uh, maybe about three weeks actually now. It's going to be on July 1st. The We have some music videos coming out. We've got a lot of stuff happening. That's exciting. And I thoroughly encourage you to check that out as all that stuff comes out. Um, what else is happening, man? Me and my wife, Kylie, we started a new series called Going Through the Gospels. We're starting in John. I've gotten, I've heard nothing but great responses of that. Uh, the last teaching I did, Ecclesiastes 3, I heard awesome responses on that. That was very fun. And after this Speaking in Tongues series, oh, I just spoiled it. <laughs> well, you, you see the title already, so you knew what it was. Um, after the Speaking in Tongues series, I am going to just start doing random chapters that I feel led to teach on, maybe chapters that have been misconstrued. We're going to look at them in context, maybe talk about full books and just dive into stuff. And personally, that is my favorite way to teach. It's verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's my absolute favorite way to teach because there's, uh, it's just fun to me. It's, it's the most fun and I think it's enjoyable if you're a student of the word, and more importantly, you're looking for Jesus, because Jesus is in every line, right? Amen. I think that's all the announcements I have. Rap group, going through the Gospels, um, just in my own personal life, Jesus has just shown me a lot, man. He's shown me what true meekness is, and he's showing me how to not draw the sword, and he's showing me what it, how he loved people, and how to function in the ways of the Spirit, which are the ways of grace. Uh, the law always is concerned with the outward. It's always concerned with actions and what it appears to be, but grace always deals with the inside, and that's how I aim, I, I believe, to, to really look at people and situations. And We are diving in to this new topic. Um, it's been by multiple people, by one person in particular that's been really wanting me to uh, teach on this. And for good reason, it's uh, pretty mysterious if you don't know about it and if you don't know scriptures to look at. We're talking about speaking in tongues. And really, you could say we're actually talking about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. That's what we're going to be talking about right now. So... I'm actually, this is, this might seem counterintuitive, I'm actually not going to do a lot of teaching on tongues 
this first one. I'm going to lay some groundwork. This is going to be a series. Uh, it'll be one or two, possibly three, just depending on where the Lord leads us. I'm going to do a series on this, and I have to establish the baptism in the Holy Ghost before I can establish speaking in tongues, because although tongues is related to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not all. It's kind of like the trunk of an elephant. Uh, the trunk isn't the whole elephant, but yet the elephant wouldn't be an elephant without the trunk. If you don't get that, uh, just meditate on it. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. Um, speaking in tongues is really important. It really is. Uh, I've unfortunately um, unwisely fell into pitfalls of arguing with people on it and showing scripture and whatnot. Uh, this is really funny, just to kick it off with this. There was a guy I knew, he was a Baptist boy, great guy, but you know he didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and he didn't believe in uh, spiritual manifestations of Jesus and people getting healed, and he didn't believe in speaking in tongues, and that's how he was taught. So you know you, you can't rise above what you're taught unless you seek out different teachings, of course, and... I was trying. I I had just got turned on to the Lord. This would have been 2017, at the end of the year, and I had just gotten turned on to the Lord. And, I, you know, when you're excited and when you have a personality that's not afraid to speak up and 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 you want to share people with what you feel is good news, you're just going to go talk to everything. You know, you could argue with a signpost, you could witness to a trash can. You're just excited about Jesus. And you mess up, and you you say, and you do things, and 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 you force it on people, and you didn't mean to, and you know God makes provisions for your mistakes, of course. But this guy, I was, I was texting him about speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how awesome it was, and that I do it, and my whole family does it, and all these things. And it, what what was funny <laughs> is he said, "Well, speaking in tongue, speaking in tongues really confuses me," and. God is not the author of confusion, so therefore it can't be from God. What I didn't know—this <laughs> is hilarious—what I didn't know is that's a, you know, that's a verse in the Bible, of course, God is not the author of confusion. I knew that. But what's really funny is that verse is in 2 Corinthians chapter 14. And if you know anything about 2 Corinthians chapter 14, that is the one chapter in the Bible that is completely dedicated to speaking in tongues and to teaching on tongues. So looking back years later, that's absolutely hilarious that that man quoted out of the chapter that disproved what he was saying, right? But it's not always about being right and about being wrong. It's about loving people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus had plenty of opportunities to where he could have used his knowledge to really get some people. He could have used it to wreck them, as we would say, uh, but he didn't. It says he looked on the rich young ruler, and it says he loved him. He didn't, you know, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he said, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And that's the temptation of knowledge. Knowledge, even biblical knowledge, even knowledge of grace and knowledge of the law, knowledge that the Lord is real, knowledge that he loves people. We can use it to beat people up, but that's not the goal. The goal is to do what Jesus did with the rich young ruler. What? Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And we can look beyond knowledge and we can tap into love. But then when you when you use knowledge in love, you know, you're operating like God right there. 
Amen. So I'm trying to find, I actually didn't have this um, passage of Scripture highlighted, but I want to talk about it. I think it's in John 20. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm looking here. Mm-hmm. Okay, John chapter 20. So it's going to seem like I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I am, I promise. Got to lay some foundation here. Uh, John chapter 20, famous chapter. It's where Jesus uh, meets Mary Magdalene. He's raised from the dead. She's the first person that he reveals himself to. And then she tells the people and, you know, they run and all those famous stories we know. And Jesus, uh, as they were talking uh, in verse uh, tw- in verse 19, it says, Jesus, he came and he stood in the midst and he says to them, peace be unto you. Verse 20, when he said, when he had so said, he showed unto him that his hands and his sides and they were disciples, excuse me, I'm getting so tongue tied. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Amen. That's a great truth. You're glad when you see the Lord, when you behold him and really his sacrifice. Verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. There's a plethora of revelations in that, man. This is all so juicy. But we're just trying to get to verse 22 and verse 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. I'm not going to teach on that, although that's awesome as well. Verse 22 he breathed on them, and he says unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. If you haven't caught the parallel, this is just like Genesis chapter 2, when, when God, he forms man's body, and then he breathes uh, his, his breath, his spirit. Actually, in the Old Testament, this, the word for breath and spirit are usually the same. Uh, I'm blanking on the word right now. I, I can just hear my pastor's voice saying it because he would quote it so much, but this is just like Genesis, breathing life into man. Now Jesus, he's raised from the dead, boom. These are the first group of people to get born again. But I want to note, he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. So I, I think we can all agree that at that moment, the disciples and who all was with them, they got born again. That is so clear, man. They got born again. Now, uh, Acts, the book over, two chapters over, really, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, uh, uh, let's start in verse 6. When they therefore were coming together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the othermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So, where does this leave us? Kind of confusing, right? In John chapter 20, he said, receive the Holy Ghost. Meanwhile, after that, in Acts chapter 1, we have Jesus who is saying, hey, wait here for the Holy Ghost. Well, which is it, Jesus? Did they, did they receive the Holy Ghost, or are they waiting for the Holy Ghost? 
And, and he actually said, wait for the promise. That's what he says in Luke's gospel. He says, wait for the promise of my father. What's the promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't make any sense because Jesus already said, receive you the Holy Spirit. And I believe they got born again at that moment. So just by logical thought, you can see Jesus is, he is clearly referencing to something else. These people who are born again, the very disciples that walk with Jesus, that know he's alive, Jesus tells them, hey, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, don't witness to people until the promise of my Father comes. Now, there's some real cool biblical symbolism happening. We go over to chapter 2, um, arguably the most famous chapter in the book of Acts. It's, it's Day of Pentecost, and we're going to read it here in a moment and see what happened. Actually, let's just read it now, then I'll go into some of the background history. So anyways, I, I've just tried to set this up. I, I, I can't get this clear enough. I can't get it to... Or let me say it like this. I hope I'm I'm getting you guys to understand that there is a separate experience that Jesus wanted for his disciples. They already received the Holy Ghost, but yet he said, wait for the Holy Ghost and wait for the promise. And I want to point this out as well. He said, uh, after that, after you receive power, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's interesting because the new covenant is all about how Jesus lives in you. That's the new covenant. Old covenant, God came upon you. He never made his home on the inside of you. New covenant, Christ in you, the hope of glory, a.k.a. God doesn't live in temples made with hands, and he doesn't live in heaven. He lives in you. And if you're familiar with any of my teachings, that is a very, very important. I say my teachings, if you're familiar with the new covenant, if you're familiar with the astonishment that God Almighty would make his abode. That's what Jesus said in John 14, any man that loves me, I will come and me and my father will make our abode in him, abiding in him and he abides in us. It's the cry of a, of a bride to her groom, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Song of Solomon 6.3. So that's, that's a lot of the New Testament. The New Covenant is focused around God lives in you. He's not far off. He's right in you. Uh, you, are not, you are not a man knocking on his door trying to get bread at night. You are uh, in bed with your father. You're, you're close to him is the parable that Jesus told. So I want to make this distinction as well. Notice Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. But in John 14, verse 17, uh, which was before Acts 1, he also says, well, I'll start in verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That word, another comforter, in the Greek, it literally means somebody just like me. The Holy Spirit is identical to Jesus. Did Jesus beat people down? Did Jesus condemn people for sin? Nope. Jesus lifted up the branches. That's what it says. Every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit, my Father lifts up. It, do it doesn't say take away. If you go to the Greek of take away, it means lift up. Really take away from the ground, not take away from the vine, take away from the ground. That's, that's the ministry of Jesus. 
answer me this. Did Jesus stand up in Luke 4 and did he say, the spirit of the Lord's upon me to condemn the weak, to point out people's sin, to give people a revelation of how horrible they are, to get people to serve me? No, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord, the anointing is upon me to do what? To heal the brokenhearted, to set liberty those that are captives, to heal the bruised, to give sight to the the blind, and I believe that's to the religious blind. There's only one group of people Jesus called blind, and that was the Pharisees. He said, you're blind guides leading the blind. He called them blind. I believe the recovering of the sight of the blind is to uh, bring light into the world because darkness can't comprehend the light. This is what Jesus says to John, or to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, the darkness were men's deeds men's sins no their works you think that your works that you by working hard your that's your darkness you think that that can get you to god but no the light has now come into the world moses gave the law that's what john's about grace and law go read john chapter one moses gave law uh but what did jesus do jesus christ uh truth and grace he's full of it that's what the scripture says Anyways, I'm getting off. That's a little freebie there. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you another comforter, comforter that he'll abide with you. Somebody just like me, he says that he'll abide with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but ye shall know him, for he shall dwell with you and shall be in you. I want to point that out. Remember, I'm talking about the new covenant. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but Jesus said, wait for the promise because the power, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And right here, Jesus says, he will dwell with you and he shall be in you. There's a dual working of the Spirit, you could say. There's the Spirit in you and then there's the Spirit upon you. It's all the Spirit, and I don't personally like to get bogged down with logistical things about that, uh, um, I grew up in a word of faith denomination that got really caught up in what I believe was semantics and a lot of silly things, and they missed Jesus. But I, I do agree with that. There's a dual working of the Spirit. There's the Spirit in you uh, to do His personal, intimate walk with you, and then there's the Spirit upon you that helps you release what's on the inside. So there's a clear distinction. There's There's... Jesus said he'll be with you and he'll be in you. I don't believe Jesus uh, was saying the same thing. I think he was saying two different things. And it's clear, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Hey, but wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. They're two different things. Well, let's see what this promise looks like. 50 days later in Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm pretty much just going to read till my heart's content here. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were their uh, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So I'm going to stop right there. 
the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come in like a mighty rushing wind. He, he is now, it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And it, it, it manifested in speaking in tongues, speaking, we're going to read in 2 Corinthians 14 at some point in this study, how Paul says you don't speak with the tongues of men, but you're speaking with the tongues of angels. And the, it says that there was like a, a, a fire sitting above all their heads, and, there, and, and um, it's the Feast of Pentecost, which is a Jewish holiday, and all these Jews have come from different areas, and they were all speaking in tongues, but the other people were hearing them in their own language. Absolutely incredible. Uh, verse 7, excuse me. And they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these all which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And then uh, it lists all these different people, Judea, the Medes, Mesopotamia, Pontus, Asia, Egypt, Crane, Libya, strangers of Rome, and Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were hearing the wonderful works of God. I believe that was Jesus, of course. I believe they were talking and preaching Jesus, the risen, resurrected Christ. That's the only, that's the wonderful work of God, really. So they were preaching the gospel to these people in tongues. Verse 12, And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. That's a, uh, you've probably heard me mention that before. Wine is the very symbol of the new covenant. Jesus said, Take this, take this wine, it's a symbol of my blood. And specifically, new wine, that's kind of uh, in reference to, people use it a lot to talking about getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe it's just the new covenant in general, but I also believe you could use it. You know, when you're having a good spiritual time and uh, just the presence of the Lord and uh, you're communicating with Him in your intimate love language and tongues, it's, it's like getting drunk on wine. And they were acting away. Here's the thing. This is why I think they said they were drunk. Peter and John and James and all these people, there's 120 people uh, here in Day of Pentecost that were in the disciples of Jesus. There's 120 of them. They were acting in such a way that people thought they were drunk. And I don't know if you've ever seen videos of certain churches where the Spirit's being, quote-unquote, poured out and people are acting funny. And I'll just say right now on air, I do believe in manifestations of the Holy Spirit like that. Do I believe there is fanaticism, and do I believe that that's been abused, and uh, do I believe that it has gotten into so much law and bondage, and that people think if you're not dancing and rolling around on the floor that you're you're not filled with the presence of Jesus? Do I think that's silly? Absolutely. Do I think those things are fake? No, I think they're things of the Spirit, but they've been abused, abused by Pentecostal denominations, by charismatic people. It, and now it's just faked. I've sat in many church services where, quote-unquote, the Spirit was moving. And I'll say it again. I believe in the Spirit of moving. I believe that when there's an atmosphere of praise and an atmosphere of worship that, cool, man, run around, have a great time, express your love for God, um, let God you know, come upon you and just enjoy Him and let Him enjoy you, sweet man, have a great time. Um, I love stuff like that, but I will say predominantly a lot of it is in the flesh. And I know that's really hard to hear for some people that, like me, have been exposed and grew up in those cultures and 
maybe went to Bible school in those cultures, but a lot of it is flesh. A lot of it is not the Spirit of God. So that's where I stand on that. Verse 14, after they got accused of being drunk, but Peter, standing up with the, uh, the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock, he says, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is which was, was spoken by the prophet Joel. Oh, hold up now. A ringer should be going off. Peter is about to quote Old Testament scripture. Let's, let, let's see what he quotes. He, he quotes Joel chapter 2, and he says in verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your me, young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall all prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and noble day of, notable day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear ye these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. Uh, and And... and this is all really juicy, and I would love to teach on it and read it. It's awesome. But Peter just pretty much uh, gets up and preaches and, about Jesus. But I want to point this out. Uh, Peter, he quotes Joel chapter 2 about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh, and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet of Joel. And he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the... Um, speaking in tongues, what they're witnessing. It's what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I have to add this in here. Many, many, many preachers and teachers will say exactly what I just said, but then uh, they'll, they'll say that verses 15, 16, 17, and 18 are all now. We're in the last days. If they're in the last days, then certainly we're in the last days now. I'm going to throw this in here. The last days to a Jewish person are the end of the Mosaic Covenant and uh, the enter into the millennial, or really the millennial reign, the Messiah age, the Messianic age, excuse me. That is what a Jewish person thinks the end of the days are. They think it's the end of the law, the Mosaic Covenant, and the beginning of the, the Messianic reign, right? That's what they think the last days are. So just to put that in perspective. But many preachers will say all those verses are for now, but now these next verses about showing wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor, and smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great notable day of the Lord shall come. They'll say, oh, those first couple verses, they're all um, back then, but we're still waiting on the fulfillment of those other verses. No, that is, I'll just say this outright, bad biblical interpretation. Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet of Joel. That means everything that Peter said was what they were witnessing. All these things about the sun being turned into darkness and the earth and blood and fire and vapor of smoke, uh, that is a reference to the old covenant passing away like a vapor of smoke, like a garment being rolled up. Uh, that is what that's a reference to. It's, it's not talking about the end of the days 
these things are metaphorical. They've already happened. And, and I, I, it would take me three to four hours to literally go into all this Old Testament symbolism and transfer it over into the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, and then transfer it over to the New Testament, and then finally go over to the book of Revelation. It, it would take so long, but I just want to uh, throw that out there to give you a different lens. So this is that, but we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's obviously prophecies in the Old Testament of that, and we're going to get to those. Uh, this is taking a little longer than I thought, but it's worth it. So anyways, let's back up here. I said I was going to go into Day of Pentecost. Uh, I appreciate you guys letting me go into rabbit holes. This is a podcast, and uh, that's one of the advantages. You know, I'm not standing in front of a crowd. I can kind of go as I feel led and go into different things and Chances are, if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably a regular, hopefully, and you're used to uh, really diving into the Word and these things. So appreciate you guys for allowing me that flexibility. So, Day of Pentecost. There's some really cool Bible symbolism going on here. Now, the Old Testament, I'm going to try to explain this in, in very layman and very simple terms. In the Old Testament, the Lord set up different feasts. He set up different designated days that also have certain meanings. That you know, uh, the Old Testament—it's all signs and shadows and metaphors. All of the the feast and the days and the laws and the practices; those were all just symbols, and they were just ways to help you to understand Jesus and what Jesus was going to do, how he was going to do it, what he would look like, what he would do—all these things. And you couldn't understand it when you saw the shadow, but when you saw the, the man, Jesus, you understood the shape of the shadow, if that makes sense. So there's certain feast days. I'm not going to go over all of them, but one that most people will be able to understand is the Feast of Passover. And that is a reference to the children of Israel being in Egypt. And the spiritual meaning of that, I, most people believe that it's in the bondage of sin and then they come out. I believe it's in the bondage of the law because Egypt, if you go and read Exodus, it's hard work, it's miserable, they're getting treated horribly. It's life under the law. It's very clear. And I'm not the only one that believes that, believe it or not. So Exodus is a picture of the Christian life under the law. If you want to say sin, sure, but I believe there's a a very deeper picture there. Well, really, life under the law is the life under sin because the law strengthens sin. So there you go. It's not wrong <laughs> in a roundabout way. But Exodus, uh, when they, the, the children of Israel in Egypt, you guys are mostly familiar. Uh, Egypt, you know, Moses, let my people go. A very, very famous story, of course, and seven plagues. And the very last plague, God said, I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to send the death angel, and he's going to come and take the firstborn of everybody. But he says, but I want the children of Israel to take a lamb, the firstborn lamb, without blemish or spot, and I want you to kill him, uh, uh, him or uh, him, the firstborn male sheep, and I want you to take the lamb and take his blood and put it on your doorpost, and the death angel will see. Really, when the death angel sees the blood on the doorpost, he doesn't just think, oh, okay, I don't need to come here. No, there's already a death. There's been a death in place of the firstborn. If you're not catching on, these are all shadows to Jesus. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. When death comes to you, it says, oh, there's already been a sacrifice there. 
what? The sacrifice of Jesus. And it basically says, when the death angel saw the the blood on the doorpost, it said there's been a firstborn already died here. And that's just like it is with Jesus. And Jesus wasn't the only one that died. You really can't say, Jesus took my spot on the cross. I understand. I used to say that, and that's not wrong, but it's more like you were on the cross with Jesus. He was your representative. When he died at the cross, all of humanity died with him. The only difference is, is some people choose to raise from the dead with him. Uh, that's that's the difference between someone that's born again or not. Everyone has been, all of humanity died on the cross with Jesus. But the people that accept Jesus, those are the ones that raise again from the dead. Amen. So anyways, that that's what God told them to do. And, and, and basically, that was the night that they left Egypt. And it's called Passover. Why they, they were passing over out of, you know, the death angel passed over them. They're passing over the land of Egypt, headed towards the promised land. And God, he set up um, a feast called Passover. And he said, I want you to do this feast, and it's in remembrance to the lamb. You guys, hopefully I've explained it uh, good enough that you can understand. They're celebrating a feast. It's kind of in the same way, you know, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. We celebrate uh, Veterans Day to honor veterans. We we uh, celebrate Columbus Day, the day that he he found America. Things like that. It's ju- it's just like that. It's Jesus said, uh, God said to the children of Israel, "I want you to remember when I brought you out of Egypt. Thousands of years from now, I want you to remember what I did in Egypt." And that's because it's a sign. It's a metaphor for coming out of the law. Uh, the way that Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt is the exact same way that Jesus led us out of the law. It's a beautiful picture. So, Passover, that was on that day. 50 days later, 50 days later after Passover, I know I'm making you guys think. I know I am, and I know uh, this is a little lengthy, but I promise it's going to pay off. 50 days after Passover is what's called the Feast of Pentecost or Day of Pentecost. And what happened in the Old Testament in the Day of Pentecost was... Uh, God wanted a relationship with the children of Israel. They didn't want it, so God instituted the law. God instituted the law, the old covenant law, and God descended like fire upon the mountain. And what happened is, is basically that day, because the law was given and people disobeyed and all these things, 3,000 people died. So that's the Feast of Pentecost. It's the day that they got the law. The law, which was meant to kill you, meant to harm you, meant to slay you. It was not meant to help you live a holy life. It was meant to kill you. It was meant to break you down so that you would toss away all self-righteousness and stop receiving by performance, but receive by grace. Now, here's a fun fact. Jesus died on Passover. In the same way that the lamb died in Egypt, Jesus died on the cross. The the lamb in Egypt was a shadow. It was a picture. The real thing was Jesus dying on the cross, the real lamb of God, right? That's what he's called in the New Testament. So 50 days after the real lamb dies, uh, we, we celebrate Passover on, you know, that would be like Thursday or Friday, and then Sunday is Easter for us Christians uh, on uh. Jesus died on Passover. He actually died on that physical holiday, the real Lamb of God. Fifty days later is day of Pentecost. 
So now look into contrast. The Old Testament day of Pentecost, which I just explained, it was kind of not a fun day, to be honest with you. In the New Testament Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given um, upon them. He was in them, but now he was released. It says they were filled with the Spirit. And what happened? The Holy Spirit, he's your comforter. He gives you life. In the same way that the law strengthens sin, the Holy Spirit strengthens grace in your life. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, the, really, the complete opposite of what happened on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament, hap- the opposite happens in the New Testament because 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament got born again. As Peter preached, preached we read a little bit of his preaching. He preached a mean sermon and 3,000 people got born again. So when the law's given, boom, 3,000 people die. When the Holy Spirit's given, boom, 3,000 people live. They're born again. So I hope that helps you maybe appreciate some of the Old Testament um, symbolism going on here. And that's in Acts chapter 2. And let's just read some of these first couple of verses. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting this is very similar if you know anything about azusa street in the early 1900s that really brought the baptism of the holy spirit over to america um the the azusa street there's there there's been accounts of this stuff happening today and it's a beautiful and a, the, the sound of a rushing mighty wind, that is actually the reference to a lot of Old Testament symmetry, uh, symmetry symbolism. There's a, a lot of times, especially in the book of Isaiah, where God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe away all these things. With a, with, I'm going to shake them. Uh, Jesus says the fig tree will be shaken. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is, he says there's, there's things that are going to be shaken. The kingdom, our kingdom cannot be shaken, but the, but the old kingdom of God, the old kingdom of God, really the old system, the old covenant law will be shaken. And I believe that mighty rushing wind, uh, the empowerment that Jesus talked about in the spirit is what helps you to understand the new covenant more. And uh, they were all sitting in the house. There appeared under them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. This is more Old Testament symbolism. I know it's like it's God's favorite thing or something. He spent four thousand years, or, or he spent, yeah, four thousand years building up all these uh, pictures just so he could reference them in another book. <laughs> I think it's incredible. Uh, the the fire sitting upon them. This is symbolism of when Moses created the tabernacle. Well, really, God got him to make it, but when God, when Moses uh, went through with the designs that God gave him. God came down in a fire, and that was to show that God lives in this tabernacle now, the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God lives. Boom, scoot over to Solomon, First uh, Kings chapter, you know, four, five, six, right around there. Solomon making his temple when he dedicates the simple fire from heaven rains down, and it sits in the temple. And it was actually a commandment for the priest to keep the fire going and to not add natural fire, but they had to keep the fire that was already there going. And there's great symbolism in that as well. But 
So you see this, when God moves into a new place, he puts tongues of fire, or tongues of fire, he puts fire over the place where he dwells. This is the, this sums up the new covenant. Boom, the Holy Spirit now lives in men, sucker. That is where he lives. There's fire above their heads. That's God saying, this is now my temple. I dwell, I live, and I move in them, and they in me. And I, 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 they are filled with me, and I am filled with them. It's an absolutely beautiful picture. In verse 4, one of the most famous verses in charismatic circles, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to talk about John the Baptist. He referenced Jesus. He says, there comes one. He says, I baptize you with water, but there comes another that baptizes you with fire. And now I do think that has many multiple meanings. And he actually said that to the Pharisees, which or the, the people that were sent by the Pharisees. And I think that really does play a lot in the context and the, the meaning of that. But also, this is Jesus. Jesus, uh, to be baptized means to be immersed into. It means to go all the way in. You are in that thing, you know, uh, if, if you took a blanket and you just covered your whole self and curled up like a ball, you could say that you're baptized in that blanket. That, that blanket covers you. So there is a second baptism. There's, there, the, there's the baptism that happens when you get born again. That's in Romans chapter 6. And that's the baptism of your old man went under and you were immersed with Jesus. And when you rose up, you rose from the dead. Your born again spirit, your spirit was translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. So there is a second baptism. And I believe that the scriptures really witness to that. And, you know, uh, John the Baptist clearly saying there comes one that will baptize you in fire, in the Holy Ghost and in fire. That's beautiful. So there's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's where that phrase kind of comes from. Now, that's in Acts chapter 2. I want to go over into Acts chapter 10, which is honestly like 10 years later, where in the Jewish mindset, man, sometimes this is frustrating because you really have to set up some framework. You got to give some context to these chapters. Uh, Jewish people, this sounds so silly to us, Jewish people... Up until this point in Acts chapter 10, they believed that Jesus was only reserved for Jewish people, not for Gentile people, which is honestly a little silly because especially in a book like Isaiah, it constantly affirms, I, I will go to a people who didn't seek me. Um, I will go to the Gentiles, it says that in so many verses, in so many ways. So to me, that didn't make any sense for them to think that, but you know, they had religious ties. They were raised in a law-based system. So who could really blame them, to be honest? Acts chapter 10, 10 years later from day of Pentecost, uh, God jumped out of their theological box. God poured himself out on the Gentiles, the people that were not Jewish by nature, by, by physical descent. And God like I said, he 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 jumped God, which is this is so God, if you know him. He he jumped out of what they thought he was like. He did something to portray his true personality, and it wasn't what they thought. Absolutely beautiful. Just to sum so so that's where Acts chapter 10 is at uh in the early church. 
And uh, I'll just say I am not someone that thinks the early church was the model of what church should look like. I think they did a lot of things right, but I also think there's a lot of things they did wrong. They pretty much practiced communism, uh, or socialism rather. They uh, did a, they they put law on Gentiles. You know, I'm not a fan of every single. Th- I I'm just I just have to put that out there. I don't think the early church really knew everything they were doing. They were figuring out some figuring some things out. You know what I'm saying? So Acts chapter 10. With all that in mind, Peter. God comes to him in a vision, and he, and he, and God, a Jewish person, isn't supposed to eat, you know, unclean foods. God puts unclean food before Peter, and he says, "Rise and eat." And he said, and Peter says, I, "I've never eaten anything like that my whole life." And he says, "Are you calling dirty what I've called clean?" And then God does that three times. Uh, just a little nugget here. He's talking about the Gentiles. And for people, little also side note, for, for, for pastors and preachers that are telling their congregation that they're not clean, that they're dirty and all these things, for people saying that, all I'm saying is God said, are you trying to call dirty what I've called clean? His people are clean, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. So Peter, he has that vision, and he's like, well, that's weird, and he, and he thought about it. And then it says that there's another guy, Cornelius, uh, praying, he's a Roman Gentile officer, and he's praying to God, and an angel visits him, and he says, God's heard you, man, and he said, now go get Peter in this house. So right after Peter's vision ends, this guy Cornelius shows up, and he says, you have to come to me. The Lord said this, and the Holy Spirit told Peter, go with those guys. Peter went, and Peter preached the gospel, and let's start, Um, let's see here. Let's see, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. So Peter, he preaches about Jesus, and then it says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. The Jewish people, that's the circumcised, they were astonished that the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles. And as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's the gift? Verse 46. For they all heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well? You know, in their theological box, it's like you accept Jesus and then you go uh, under water baptism and then you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Nope, they heard Jesus, and when they accepted Jesus, boom, the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they prayed, uh, and they they uh, they prayed that him that he would tarry there certain days. So interesting. Ten years later, after the day of Pentecost, when they spoke in tongues, it says that. When he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them all which heard the word, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they spake with tongues, magnifying God, then answered Peter. And Peter actually says, I believe it's in Acts 15, he says, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like it did us. How? They spoke in tongues. Now remember, I've, I've talked about tongues a little bit, and we are going to get in really deep in another another episode in this series, what speaking in tongues is. Uh, um, Speaking in tongues in this instance, was the evidence to the Apostle Peter 
that they had not only been born again, but had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, you know, tongues is not the tongues is not the top of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's really like a baby. It's really the intro to it. Uh, speaking in tongues is kind of the front door to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's much more that it is that it that that it does and, and that the Holy Spirit does in you and upon you. Speaking in tongues is just the indicator. Now that's not to say uh, just because you don't practice speaking in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I do not believe every believer is automatically baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think that you have to um, desire it. And it and um, it doesn't take long. Uh, some people are really in a bondage about you got to tarry. You got to tarry like the, like the disciples and you got to wait for the Holy Spirit. No, you just ask your, your papa. You just, you just ask your father, you know, Jesus, I think I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know people that got that asked that prayed that prayer and they didn't pray in tongues for three years. Now they also the people that that happened to they admit that they had a lot of wrong doctrine in them and they didn't want to speak in tongues and they were afraid of it. Uh, I got baptized five years old in the uh, parking lot of a Burger King and I just started speaking in tongues. Uh, me and all three of my brothers, almost all of us, were like that way. My mom asked us if we wanted to speak in tongues and be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit be our greater helper, and we said, yeah, and boom, right there. Um, I, I have friends. I have friends that weren't raised like that, and they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit over the past couple of years, and it's taking them a while to develop their prayer language more. It's not as fluent and stuff like that, and that's okay. It takes time to root out those wrong plants in your mind and whatnot. So, this is the second instance in the book of Acts after the resurrection of Jesus where they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. This is also years later. Uh, I'm starting with the ones that are absolutely undeniable. Chapter 19 and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He says unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Believed what? Believed on Jesus. And they said unto them, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Sounds pretty familiar. Sounds like some modern people, modern Christian churches that I know. <laughs> and he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. And then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And we could keep reading, but you can you can see here, it's these people, they just believed on the baptism of John of repentance, and right in this instance, they got born again. They got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I believe I, some people preach this like they were already born again, but why would they need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? To, that means to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about water baptism. I'm talking about which, but I'm not saying they didn't water baptize these people. I'm just saying. The real baptism is a spiritual thing. It's going under uh, 
dying, right? You've died. You've been baptized into his death, and now you you raise in his resurrection. That's in Romans chapter 6. I've quoted that already this uh, podcast, but it's worth referencing. So anyways, they... I'm not sure if they were born again. I was taught that, but I'm not sure that I believe that. I Either way, they got born again. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then right after, right after they were born again, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. So isn't that interesting? The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who had... Um, one of the best understandings of the gospel and of just Jesus, really. Isn't it interesting that right after he got people born again, his very next move was to get them filled with the Holy Spirit? To me, that's pretty undeniable. It shows the importance of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to take one second here to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the way that Jesus did to me. Think about if there was just, I don't know, let's say that there was a the ocean. Just imagine the ocean. Giant body of water. But let's say somehow there was a glass wall blocking the ocean from, you know, let's say from the rest of, you know, imagine the ocean Half of it's taken out, and the, the other half is bare and dry, and the other half is just full of the ocean. And it's because there's a glass divider in between them. So imagine that. Imagine that. The ocean is like the Spirit of God. It's endless. It's vast. There's so much in it. You can't exhaust it. There, there's, there's rivers of living water on that other side. When you get born again, I believe that a, a little hole opens in that ocean. And it's pouring out. It's pouring out as fast as it can. And you've got this little hole. And you've got a supply. You can drink from that. You can wash yourself for sure in that, in that dose. But imagine if you could take that little hole. Imagine if you could just take out the whole glass and all the water just comes crashing down. That is what I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like. I don't believe that... You get more of the Spirit of God. No, when you get born again, all the Spirit of God dwells in you. Every part of it. That ocean, that river of living water is on the inside of you. Uh, and we're going to, uh, I don't want to get into that yet. But that, that water lives on the inside of you. That uh, it's there. It's not that you don't have it and you're waiting for it to rain. No, you've got the you've got the full measure of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter one verse three. God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Colossians chapter two talks about the fullness of God is in Jesus and Jesus is in you. And it says you're complete in Him, who is the head of all principalities and power. So the Spirit of God, I don't believe that you get a little bit of the Spirit when you're born again, and then you get the rest of it when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, that's unscriptural to me. You have the full measure of the Spirit of God residing in you right now, regardless if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit or not. The only difference is, is when you, um, when you accept 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Jesus and you say, I think I just, I want more of you in my life. I want to experience you more. What happens is that barrier is lifted up and now the the full measure of the Spirit can flow to every part of your life. Every person I know that's on fire for God has the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaks with tongues. Truly. And it's no coincidence that the people that don't are not uh, are not as on fire for God. And if you guys know me, I'm I'm a grace preacher. I preach the grace of God. I preach you shouldn't be focused on how much you're on fire for God. You shouldn't. But I'm just saying factually, uh, that's very true. I know Christians who aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they try to be on fire for God, but they can't. And I, I've seen people that didn't have it, and now they have it, and boy, they receive the love of Christ like there's no tomorrow. Uh, so that's really interesting. I know that's personal experience, uh, but hopefully that aids you in how you think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To me, it's just like the bride in Song of Solomon. In chapter 4, verse 6, she says, I will go with my, with my groom. And now she has accepted the wedding invitation, just like you've accepted the wedding invitation of Jesus in your life as well. and But at the end of chapter 4, she says, let my beloved come into his garden. Let, a, let him enjoy his fruits in me. To me, that's just saying, I want more of you. I, I want to experience your love more. To me, well, I won't get into that at the moment. We're going to return to that probably, but to me, that that that's what it is. It's it, it's it's not that you have less of the spirit, and it's not that people that aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. It's not that they have less of God or uh, anything like that. But I really do believe. I really do believe. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can't understand God as much as you could. Uh, Romans chapter five verse five says that the Holy Spirit is the one that sheds abroad in our hearts the love of the Lord. So when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I believe, I really do, I believe that it helps you understand how much God loves you more. And the Holy Spirit is the author of all the scriptures. So when you get baptized in Him and uh, you're filled with Him and you're flowing with the Spirit and that, that water is able to flow freely, I believe it helps you understand the Bible more. I really do. And again, I've seen that I've seen and heard testimony after testimony of people that read the Bible their whole lives and then they got baptized in the Holy Spirit and then it was just like every word was just like a river of living water to them. They just felt like things clicked. And uh, I understand that might be, you might think, well, that's just personal opinion and that's just stories. And if that's what you think, you know, I, I can't help you there, but uh, I hope it's aids you and I at least hope it's given you a different perspective for sure. Uh... So, speaking in tongues is definitely linked to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to go to Acts chapter 8. Now, we're going to back up here. If you know Acts chapter 8, that's a... um, Let's see here. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Yeah, so uh, Philip is down here in Samaria... And he calls for James and John to come and give these people the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's been preaching Jesus to them. So listen, verse 14. Now when the apostles which which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto him... 
Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Whoa, it says right here that they received the Word of God. What's the Word of God? That's literally Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. They received Jesus. I believe they were born again, and then again, just like Paul, what was their first action? Hey, we need to send Peter and John down there to help them receive the Holy Ghost. Again, to me, that this is one of the, you know, fourth or fifth witnesses um, just in, in these scriptures we've read during this time period that shows how important the New Testament church took the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They got people born again. They instantly said, we have to help them receive the Holy Ghost. Well, it's just like Jesus said, you already received the Holy Ghost. Well, that's because it's talking about the Holy Ghost coming upon them and being filled in them. 16, for as they... For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This just further proof. They were born again, but they weren't filled with the Spirit. Verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now what happened? And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Uh, repent, or change your mind. Turn around, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart might be forgiven of thee. See, even that's a little law-y. Uh, I would never say some of that stuff Peter said. I think some of that's really law-based. But, you know, whatever opinions, I suppose. But anyways... You might say, well, Brock, I got you now. It says they received the Holy Ghost and they didn't speak in tongues. Well, if you notice, it says Simon the Sorcerer, which is another character in this story. Um, if you notice, Simon says that he saw they received the Holy Ghost. That means there was a physical indicator that they had received the Holy Spirit. Based off of... The other three instances in the book of Acts, it is not, absolutely not, biblically irresponsible to assume that they spoke in tongues here. Because in three other stories that we read, anyone can deny it, but the, but the scriptures clearly say they, got, they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. And now you're telling me this time where it says... They received the Holy Spirit, and somebody saw that they received it. You're telling me it's not tongues? That's not biblical. That's not proper biblical interpretation. That is picking and choosing. So what is it that Simon saw? I believe Simon saw them speak in tongues. Amen. We're going to one last chapter here in the book of Acts. Uh, one chapter over, verse 9. And this is the famous chapter where Paul... He runs into Jesus on the road to Damascus, and and he get and the glory of God uh, blinds him, and he sends Ananias to pray for him. So listen to this: Acts chapter nine, verse seventeen. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, "Brother Saul, I believe Saul was already born again, because he called him brother. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou might receive thy sight and." Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forth, and he arose, and he was baptized. So, pretty interesting. Uh, he was born again, and 
the Lord sent Ananias to help him uh, recover his sight because he was blind from, from the glory of God and to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say again, well, Brock, it says he didn't speak in tongues. Well, I'm going to quote Paul himself right here, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. That was written to an entire church full of people. He said, I speak in tongues more than any of you guys. I think it's pretty safe to assume that when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke in tongues. And if he didn't at that moment, at some point, he spoke in tongues. But it's obvious the the Lord, after Saul got born again, took it very serious that right after he was born again, the very next step was to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? It's because I, I believe you cannot even... I, I don't think you can barely touch what the Lord has for you in this life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that to condemn. I'm not saying that to make you feel like you're a half-hearted Christian. And I'm not saying that to make you feel like you're a failure. I'm uh, uh, All I'm saying is your uh, your ability to flow with the Spirit of God and to let Him love on you um, is ten times more amplified through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've read uh, five times in the book of Acts. It sounded like a fart when I said that. I can't do it again. Five times in the book of Acts, it talks about getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Three of those times actually says they spoke in tongues. One is pretty implied. And the other one, we have a firsthand account that that man spoke in tongues. So to me, it's very safe to assume that's when he did it. Either way, God wanted him to get filled with the Holy Spirit. He wanted him to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen. To me, it's absolutely impossible. It's absolutely impossible to read all of those scriptures and to think that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not for us today that speaking in tongues is not for us today. I say that, but I've unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because um, I'm aiming in my life to never get into situations like this again because it's fruitless and it's pointless. It absolutely is. I've unfortunately talked to a lot of people that think this is witchcraft. They think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely silly. They think that speaking in tongues is not a spiritual thing. They think that speaking in tongues is, it was just something for that time, and it was something to use to speak to other people in different languages. Um, That's very unfortunate. I can't really argue against them. I can only look at the scripture, and I can only believe that God um, meant this for everybody. Um, Man, there's so much more to tackle on. Hmm. I think I'm going to end it there. We've gone for about an hour, a little bit over. I'm just laying a groundwork. I'm 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 laying the groundwork for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How the how we see it played out in the book of Acts. We we clearly see Jesus didn't want his disciples to even preach or to uh spread the gospel without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, some people believe it was just for those 12. 
um, and they they really twist some scripture. They use First Corinthians thirteen to say that stuff's passed away and all that stuff. But um, I don't I, I don't really have too much for those people. All I can say is um, I see it in the scripture, and it's lived out in my personal life. And I know hundreds of people; it's their life as well. But of course, they they just would say that's opinion and whatnot. And we're not here to argue with them. We are. Um, I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually allows you to love people better than somebody that doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I really do. Um, now, there's a matter of accessing that. I'm not saying that's going to be the case every time. I just believe that someone that is baptized in the Holy Spirit has more of an opportunity to tap into the Spirit of God than someone who doesn't. It's not always the case, of course. I, I've met a lot of nice Catholic people. I've, lot of, I've met a lot of nice Baptist people, a lot of nice, nice Methodist people, um, and I've met a lot of um, horrible, uh, not nice Pentecostal people and not nice charismatic people. So I'm not trying to say that's an infallible fact. I'm just saying based off of the scriptural precedence, there's a, there's a point and a reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps you love people more. He's the one that sheds the love of God abroad in your heart, Romans 5.5. 5. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures, is what Paul told Timothy. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps you understand the Bible more. And uh, I, I just believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this very sweet, intimate thing between you and Jesus where you say, I'm not satisfied. I want to experience more of you in my life. And that's absolutely beautiful. I think so. I think we're going to stop here. I think this is a really good foundation. Uh, some of you might have already known this stuff, so it might be just a refresher. Uh, if you've never heard this stuff, pick up your Bible. Uh, go to these scriptures. Check them out. I think next time I'm going to talk about some Old Testament prophecies that reference speaking in tongues. and We're going to look at, did Jesus speak in tongues? Did Jesus mention tongues? Very interesting. Uh, and then we'll see where we go from there. Amen. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope you have a blessed uh, rest of the day, night, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And uh, just enjoy Jesus, man. Let him enjoy you. Let him love on you. Don't forget he's never mad at you. He's never condemning you. He's not focused on your sin. He doesn't even see your sin. He just sees you in Christ and Christ in you. I hope that encourages you and y'all be blessed.